Well, welcome to the Upper Discussion Podcast, the only show on the internet where we talk about the things we talk about in the order we talk about them. I'm Tom Zalatnay. I'm Tim Blay, and sitting with us we have a very special guest, Fraser Kane. Welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Good to be here. Yeah. So uh, before the podcast, do you want to jump into the conversation we were just having? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, okay. So, so Tom was mentioning that that I have the na- a name that is similar to a, sh- per- a character from a show that you love. It's you have way uni- too close to Fraser Crane. It is very close to Fraser Crane. Yeah, mm-hmm. but but if you do the math, I had the name first, right? If Cheers came out in the eighties. I was born in the seventies. So so you win. So I so I do I do have the name for it. So my name takes precedent. So what should really be happening is whenever someone watches that show, right. they go, "Oh yeah, that's just like that guy who does that space stuff." Right. Except yeah. were you doing space stuff in the 80s? Oh. I mean, you were what? Like oh, 10 game 15? set match. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I guess that's true. So I was, you know, not famous. But well, if we had some kind of time machine, you know, we could go back and and reorder the timeline to a way that works. So you would prefer to tell the people from the TV show to change the name Fraser Crane as opposed to telling your parents to rename. Yeah, I like the name, and I don't want to cause some kind of grandfather paradox. So yeah. right, okay, yeah. let's. But I don't. I don't think that's accurate because I'm pretty sure you're going to cause a paradox either way. Yeah, but I'm not concerned about what happens to Kelsey Grammer and, and no, the people. No, not, not for show. him, but poor but Kelsey for you. Grammer. If if he doesn't take that name, yeah. you don't grow up feeling that your name is inappropriate and that you should go back and in so time. That I, and so that I never build the time machine. Yeah, so that you don't go back and yeah, yeah. And well, insult Kelsey Grammer. But these are literally the problems you're going to have with any time travel story. Therefore, time travel is physically, mathematically impossible. Well, or you establish a self, self-stabilizing loop. That's the other theory, right? Right. That there's, yeah. there's some sort of... Either you split the universe into something that within the loop exists in two states at once, and so, you know, mathematically cancels out once the loop is completed that you wind up with a stable state, or... <laughs> right, but you, you gotta uh, do the math. Yeah, or there often there are classical ways to get a self-stabilizing thing as well. Like, there, someone... Do you know about that that uh, theoretical paper about throwing a bowling ball in a in a time loop? No. Or a, a billiard ball. So the idea was you throw a billiard ball into a time loop that spits it out so that it knocks the billiard ball off course before it goes in the, into the time loop. Right. Creating a paradox, right? Right. But the the physicists prove that there's always a way to do it so the billiard ball comes out at just a slight angle that's just enough to nudge the billiard ball into the slight angle it goes in on. Right. Which makes it perfectly consistent. And and then if you sort of consider that we're all just molecules and atoms and stuff, collections of of random particles bouncing together, then then maybe there's a way to make all these paradoxes resolved if you can just do the math. It's very possible. Yeah. It could be possible. All right. Well, then I guess I take it all back. Actually, the only conversation I've ever had with Neil deGrasse Tyson was about time travel. Ooh, what did yeah. you talk about? So I postulated to him that that because there are no time travelers now popping into existence all the time, that there, there, there will never be, be there will never be time travel invented. That you know that if time travel was to be invented in the future, then like Hitler's bedroom would be crammed filled with assassins, right? Maybe like. Mm-hmm you know, mashing into each other and other places. We'd see them all over the place. And in fact, if time is infinite forward, then there will be an infinite number of time travelers in the future, but a finite amount of time behind them 
Therefore, they will literally fill up the universe with their meat right. as they try to come back in time. An infinite number of time travelers in the future denotes an infinite number of time travelers in the past and present. Right. And right. they because won't fit. <laughs> well, <laughs> depends. But it, doesn't it depend on whether they start canceling each other out? Like if, some, if a time traveler goes back and prevents himself from you know, inventing time travel... Yeah. And that happens in a... It, does that But is there going to be a one-to-one -one correlation, right? Are you going to have, for every time traveler who invents a time machine, his first job is to prevent someone else from inventing <laughs> a time machine to keep the balance set? Well, you have to... If, if we're going with this idea that there's not going to be a paradox, then any time it does create the paradox that the time machine couldn't have been invented... Right. Like, if there's enough time travelers to come back here... Right. And totally mess up the universe, yeah. then it won't happen because otherwise they right. wouldn't invent time travel. So, so in other words, like literally the first two rules of time travel are like number one, do the math so you don't cause a paradox. Number two, kill a time traveler. Hmm. Right? And that way you remove someone other time travelers. So you don't create the infinite, you know, time traveler number in the universe well, that works if, for me if you can do those two things then you're free to time travel but then of course when people realize that solution nobody time travels because no one wants to get whacked by the next time traveler and that stabilizes to become the a time traveler means to effectively commit time travel suicide interesting yeah, yeah you have yeah. to commit to being killed next yeah yeah. yeah. So but it's got to like be really worthwhile. It's like that. Did you see that? Like it was like the outer limits or something like that back in the eighties. Where like I'll give you this button, and then you press this button, somebody somewhere that you don't know will die, and then you're like okay, and then you get all this money. So you press the button, and then they go, thank you very much. And they go and take the button to someone else, and like and they say like and someone who doesn't know you now will take this button to someone who doesn't know you, and they may press the button. And you're right. like no, oh, it was the devil all along because <laughs> you die. Because you die. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. That that once you make this deal with the devil for all this these riches and wealth in exchange for murdering somebody, you then get murdered next. But you didn't know that it was contingent on that. Like they might have taken the button to the next person, whether you press it or not, and well, then you just die. But you're poor. Which is slightly it, different from this time travel thing, because in the time travel thing, it's pre-established that you know that the next person is right. going to also kill someone. I mean, you would think that if someone showed up at your door with a box and told you that they were going to kill somebody, but they're going to give you a lot of money, there would be fine print. You'd want to see a lawyer. You'd want to go over the fine print. Yeah. You'd be like, and I'm not going to die, right? And they're like, no, you're not going to die. If I die, I'll see yeah, you. I'm not going to be maimed, right? No, 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 you're not going to be maimed. And, I, you know, and your lawyer would go through and make sure that if you are maimed or killed, the rules are held in the, you know, in the, in the state of Delaware. And you're the, covered. Yeah, you're covered, right? Heretofore. Yeah. So I think I think that scenario, once again, would, would not play out the way the horror writers thought. Mm -hmm. I suppose time travel, at least, like, you don't, there's no sense in which there's really a next time traveler, right? When you start talking about time travel, you're zipping around all over the place. So it could be that you're going to get, like, 10,000 years of nice time travel before someone finally shows up your, at your door and kills you. Because the time would be nonlinear. Yeah. So right. if maybe they're, they just happen to be the next one who comes back to 1955, right. but you spent like 20,000 years in various places right. before you right. ended up in 1955. Yeah. And then like you're, you're like spotting this person because they're like on your tail to yeah. try and kill you. And you see them in the far future and you see them in the past. Are we writing a Doctor Who script right here, right now? I think I, we are. It's very, yeah. I mean, there's there are Doctor Who scripts that are not dissimilar from this. <laughs> it's, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> now, there's a lot of Doctor Who episodes, so it's very likely if you say anything, you've stumbled into a Doctor Who script. 
It's true. Although they don't seem very concerned about making sure paradoxes don't happen. They just wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey it away, and then they go on to an episode where the doctor's wearing a cowboy hat. Right. And happens to always be in London. Yeah. Yeah. And can always save himself from himself. (laughs) Well, that's the trick, though. It's, It's about the cowboy hat. Cowboy hats are always the solution. Oh, if you've oh, got a big explain. enough cowboy hat, all right, ten gallons, yeah, yeah. How many ga- how many liters in a gallon? Help me out here. Forty. Forty. Forty liters. That's okay, no. Four hundred liters. We are not Americans. Clearly. Ten. Well, it's there's like, like four liters to the gallon, right? Four liters to the gallon. Oh, okay, it's like so six cubits to the furlong. No, no, it's four liters to the gallon. How there's many parsecs? Like a gallon is like a is a thing of milk, right? Yeah, um, a, a, a liter you, a liter is about four quarts. So like four a liters thing of milk. Okay, so forty liters in a hat. Four liters in a hat. Yes. Right, so we got forty liters of milk in a hat. Right. So right. if you take the forty liters of the world and you put them in a hat and you make them all time travel, which one kills which one first? The f- f- liters or liters? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> forty in, liters in of liters. order. But 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 you were going somewhere with the fact that a ten gallon hat solves some kind of problem. Yeah. So when you get shot in the head, right? Mm-hmm. If you're wearing a if you're wearing a ten gallon hat, right? You can just deck. <laughs> so there's there's a lot of space and not a lot of meat. Yeah. Inside the hat. That's right. And if we're concerned about all the time traveler meat kind of piling up in the paradox situation, right? It's better if they're wearing lots of hats because then there's a lot of milk to go with it. And then the Jewish time travelers want to show up because you can't mix the meat and the dairy. Oh, my God. I, it's flawless logic. Now, well, but see, you've made the math more complicated. The thing is that the universe in some ways is shaped like a 10-gallon hat. Um, is, that, is a 10-gallon hat one of the proposed topographies of, a, of the universe? That was not, actually Tim's master's thesis. It was close to my master's thesis. Yeah. But no, not, not the universe itself. But there are, there are fields in the universe that have 10-gallon hat-shaped potentials, mm-hmm. um, or the proposal... You know how a 10-gallon hat it has the rim, yeah. like the rim that goes up, and then it swoops up, but then it's got a little dimple in the middle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you've, got, you've got these two big dips on the sides, if you think of like a one-dimensional 10-gallon hat, but you've got a small dimple in the middle. Mm-hmm. Now, there are theories that the universe is existing in a state that's essentially in that little dimple in the middle. Right. Um, and if you push any point in space too far, that point is going to roll off the top of the hat and down into the right. brim. Down which, into your vacuum energy yeah. problem. Yes. And that makes a, that causes a chain reaction that essentially destroys the universe outward from that point. Right. At, the speed at light, light speed. Yeah. So yeah. it's possible that if you time travel, there's mm-hmm. a way that, you know, the energy required to do that unsta- destabilizes that point in space. And your 10-gallon hat destroys the whole universe. The whole universe. One 10-gallon hat begins the chain reaction that destroys the whole universe. Yeah, that whole concept of like the, the fact that the u- whole universe isn't at its lowest energy state is pretty terrifying because the whole universe could be destroyed in a, well, the speed of light. And we don't even know what would cause this to happen. The only thing we've got going for us is that the universe has been around for 13.8 billion years and it hasn't happened yet. Well, maybe it has, though. That we are the... That somewhere or maybe all kinds of places it's happening right now and it just hasn't reached us yet? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, we don't have 10-gallon hats in Canada. <laughs> You've so lost have no way Maybe in Alberta. <laughs> That's not Canada. Yeah. Oh, that's Wait, a, all of Albertans. We're sorry. He doesn't mean it. Albertans, we love you. Yeah. Where Where are you from? I'm from British Columbia. You're from British Columbia. Yeah. And you're named after the Fraser 
Valley in British Columbia? Well, no, I'm it's I'm named after my grandfather who was named after the Fraser River. Okay. So so that's the big river that runs through Vancouver. So I'm when people ask me like, are you named after the river? I say no. Because I'm not. I'm named right. after my grandfather, yeah. who was named after the river. It's like a twice removed kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But the, but the river is not named after the ra- the river either. The river is named after a guy named Fraser. S- yeah, Simon Fraser. Yeah. So I'm really I'm named after Simon Fraser. Right. But I'm not. You know, if you ask me, are you named after Simon Fraser? I'd say no. Three times removed. Three times removed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And then who's he named after? We could go all day. <laughs> well, exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's and then just the, like the time travel thing. And the weird part as well is that I actually have two. My name is two last names, right? So Fraser's the last name and Kane is the last name. Mm-hmm. And for me to have Fraser's the first name and Kane is the last name is a little weird. It makes you less trustworthy. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. Well, only to Canadians, right? Right. So or or to British, right? British would be like that's just not that's just not crazy. It's suspicious. Yeah. Yeah. But in in the United States, they mispronounce it as Fraser, but but you've got so you're named after your grandfather twice as much as most people are named after their grandfather. But how much are you named after Kelsey well, Grammer? So, so the weird part is, my grandfather's name was Henry Henry Fraser Kane, and so there is his grave is in Vancouver in this in this gravesite in Vancouver, and we were there for another funeral for my family, and my son when he was like just a baby was crawling on the gravestone and he was blocking the henry part <laughs> so it just said fraser kane and my son was like crawling around on my grave it's a very <laughs> it was a very eerie thing to see your own name and your son crawling around in your grave like again mm-hmm. some kind of time travel thing um yeah well do you think do you think there's is there any scientific um thing that you've come across that would make you believe in time travel of the mind like to, that you time travel that like mind. premonitions stuff like that mind travel if mind you will. travel like like seeing something in the future no like the, the question is if that's the only way that time travel can work by people instead of bringing right. themselves back right like sending is that the only safe way it could be right, right? That, there's a lot of safe way, ways in western canada the only yeah, it's true <laughs> it's but it's the you know that there that there uh, all these physical ways if we actually send particles back in time and then you cause these paradoxes and stuff but if you don't get your billiard ball math right but if you just send information back right and proposing you have a full um like understanding in the future of the human mind right and proposing you can only send back very specific information through your time paradox instead of a physical person yeah i mean premonitions could theoretically be reaching us right now. Now, I don't think there's any evidence right. that they have been. Except possibly my son is telling me that at some point in the future I may die. At the, yeah, at the same time, you have witnessed your own demise. Yeah. Has your son ever told you that directly? He hasn't, he hasn't, <laughs> he hasn't said it to my face, okay. but I, I do feel like he insinuates it a he lot. He leaves it in the YouTube comments. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's him. That's the one who's leaving me all those nasty YouTube comments is my son. I, yeah. I realized... We haven't actually like totally introduced who you are yet. Like we've said your name. We've oh, talked about how I, your son I, I is going to murder I thought you, you were in the like, future. Edit all this stuff out, and then no, uh, no, this just goes for an hour, and then we post it. There's, yeah, there's perfect, nothing here. Perfect. So why don't you tell us a little bit about like what you do? Also, uh, like why are we in the same room right yeah, now? Like, so what's I, going yeah, so I exactly. So I I, I lob uh, time travel paradoxes at Neil deGrasse Tyson. But, That's fun. Yeah, no, my so I am the publisher of Universe Today. I am, which is a space and astronomy news website. I am the co-host of Astronomy Cast, which is a 
uh, podcast about space and astronomy that I do with Dr. Pamela Gay, who's a PhD astrophysicist. And I do the Guide to Space, which is a YouTube channel. Right. So I educate people about information about astronomy. And then I am also one of the directors of Cosmo Quest, which I do with Dr. Gay and Phil Plate. And it is a uh, educational citizen science organization, nonprofit. Uh, I man, I do all kinds of things. I make <laughs> astronomy apps. I write books, all kinds of stuff. Now, for for those of us who are new to this game, you know, I've been doing some sort of science education stuff sporadically for about four years on the internet. You are you are a much older soul in terms of your <laughs> your time spent trying to reach the masses. Yeah, yeah. Of, of science internet. Yeah, I've been doing this for now 17, almost 18 years. Okay. Yeah, I started University Today in March 1999. And hilariously, like, I thought I was too late to the game, right? I was like, oh, no. The, been, the internet's over. The internet's, the, what's been happening, it's been, you know, it, it's so hard to get a domain name. And, <laughs> you know, it's super hard. It, you know, it was so tough to find a domain name that I could use. In fact, the name Universe Today comes from me mixing and matching the available spacey related <laughs> na- names and timey related names to come up with the one that had a dot com did you try spacey timey.com no i didn't no opportunity lost <laughs> someone can t- take it right now in fact by the time this is going up there it's getting registered as spacey we speak time. if that's if that's still available i'd be yeah. very surprised at yeah. this point did you say march of 99 yeah i was living in vancouver in march of 99 yeah. okay were you even born then? I was six. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. That's, How young do you think we are? So five. I was five. You were five. Yeah. So I've been doing this job since you were five. That's that exciting. Is, that makes me really feel old. So you started on like, was it, was it like plain HTML? Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I hand coded Did you do the it GeoCities back in the day? No, I, I, I used to work for a web design agency out of Vancouver. And, you know, my main clients were banks and... Uh, like just really sort of stodgy institutions. And so, but I had all these, I had all these technical skills to be able to build websites. So I built it on my own on the side and then ran it and used that as a way to just sort of understand how to build websites better. But I also realized really quickly that all I wanted to do was run universe today. Like I just wanted to be a science journalist and, and nothing else. And so, you know, it took me a couple of years before I could finally do it full time. But Mm. yeah. Was there a moment when it took off? No, no, there, there, there is never, there was not a moment that it took off. And that's kind of the, uh, I think to all the advice that I have to all the people who, who want to get into this game, who want to get into running a website is like, you just, you just keep showing up every day Mm. that, that everyone's traffic starts at zero and then grows and grows and grows. And so now I get close to 40 million visitors a year to the website, you know, 5 million a month. We've got close to 200,000 people following us on Twitter, 100,000 on YouTube. Like all these numbers are great, but I, it's because I just kept grinding, keep mm-hmm. just keep showing up every day and keep doing the work and people appreciate and keep running into it over time and realize that, you know, that they enjoy what you're doing and they sign up and they come along for the ride. So, so no, there really was no time when it went it went on any kind of inflection. Like mm. I just don't give up. Just a very slow exponential. Very slow, yeah. You've got to keep grinding. Yeah, I don't even like know if Rob it's exponential. Like Rob says, you got to keep on grinding. I don't know if it's even exponential. Like, it's linear. Like, you just, mm. yeah, you just keep showing up. Wow. Yeah. So, have, have, since 1999, do you think that, like, the has 
the perspective on how to reach people over the internet, especially with like educational stuff, do you think it's changed a lot? Has has there been a lot of innovation that you've seen and like incorporated? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, like for a lot of things, I usually spot them really quickly and I I get onto the curve pretty quickly and I get to sort of I shove my way to the front of the line and, and I'm able to sort of ride the wave. I did really well with the Google Plus. But the one that in podcasting we were in with Astronomy Cast really early and, and I really felt like we did a great job on that. Still do. Um but YouTube was the one that I really had to catch up and when I realized that this was a thing there were some really great already really well established science channels doing a fantastic job of yeah. communicating science you know uh, Veritasium ASAP Science Number File mm. uh, You um, <laughs> uh, uh, Vsauce you know like there's like the the science education sphere is really well represented on YouTube. Right. And but the part that gave me hope was the just the amount of of excitement and fandom and willingness to have science facts talked at you, you know? Right. Like people really dig that. They love being educated and love to to interact and really kind of learn this stuff. And that gave me great hope. Like, okay, I think I can I can join in this next thing as well. Yeah. But uh, you know, I'm definitely second wave on this. I'm riding the I'm following behind those guys well something that's given me sort of hope for that recently is like whenever i discover a new youtube channel that's that like still starts from nothing and cl- and comes up like pbs space time within yeah. the past year and a half or something like i i subscribed to that channel i think when it had six or seven thousand subscribers yeah he's um, got half a million now and they, they just because they were doing something that no one had done in that detail and that systematic like they it was a really ambitious goal and i think everybody else felt it was too ambitious for them to to do it was like let's really make people yeah. understand like these like grad level yep. concepts about about space and quantum mechanics and stuff at at a level that like you're really wrestling with the the fundamentals of yeah of what people worry about and like physicists try to wrap their heads around yeah i mean i i remember there was like one episode where matt was talking about Higgs boson and field theory mm-hmm. and and he actually gave me a whole new way of looking at the way physicists think about what we think is stuff physicists think about it in a totally different way as fields yeah and and the way they interact fields interact with with other kinds of particles and energy and that that the way we see the world is is not the way it really is anyway absolutely like he didn't pull any punches with that and and that once again gave me a lot of uh courage to take on some of the more complicated topics yeah i'm not a physicist i'm not a scientist by training oh i'm a computer scientist by training but i'm not a physicist or astronomer by training so i tend to have to seek experts if i'm going to go if i'm going to be punching too high above my weight Mm -hmm. now the good thing is that i've spent the last 10 years interrogating dr pamela gay every week so i really feel like i've almost got my honorary degree in astronomy at this point but i'm hoping that if i hang out with tim for long enough i'll have like an honorary bachelor's in physics that's the idea yeah I'll hang out too. And I'm going to double my chances. <laughs> Keep bringing people on the podcast to talk about such heady things as, you know, yeah. the destruction of the universe by Higgs-like fields. And and then some at some point, someone's going to show up and give us our honorary degrees. I like yeah. it. It yeah. is. It That was something that the whole idea of 
things fundamentally not being particles but being fields and like really just being it's like the en- like energy vibrations right yeah like if you think which just it. sounds total yeah, super science woo woo and th- then that's why so many like deepak chopra and a bunch of these yeah. people like they, they'll pick up on this and they'll be oh everything's vibrations and that yeah. means it's, it's like it connected is. to chakras <laughs> yeah and all it's stuff. fine you're right um, that's but true. you're using it wrong. <laughs> but I've definitely had sort of like meditational or, or like transcendent experiences after learning these sorts of things where like getting out of my, my quantum field theory class and there was like a moment I remember in McGill University where I walked out of the building and stared at the building opposite and realized that all that was was like confined energy <laughs> right um, in right. that space. Like there was nothing like fundamentally a, like different about... Prob- probabilistic fields... C- converging yeah. in this one spot there's really nothing yeah. fundamental about that wall as opposed to the the space next to it right that made it any different except the amount of energy that was there in that moment sort yeah. of whirling around itself yeah and, and it like, could be an andromeda but it happened to be right in front of you yeah and it you know might be somewhere else in the in the far far future and it somehow coalesced here and i think that that was a real like universe oneness moment in a weird way <laughs> right. even though i had nothing Take to that, do with meditation Deepak. yeah <laughs> Yeah. Science. Yeah. It works. Yeah. What's your what's your take on sort of science fandom? Cause I, I find that there's there's something that comes in sometimes that I get a little frustrated with in the the like you know, like science bitches or like, mm. yeah, like science, it works, like suck it, and like this this sort of arrogance that sometimes comes up within the science field that like like I think is like it's a reaction to a lot of like people being annoyed by pseudoscience and people trying to peddle stuff to people who don't yeah, know about science. Yeah. But at the same time, I wonder if it, you know, it does a disservice. It sort of leaves me with a weird feeling every time I encounter it. Yeah. So I mean, I've been dealing with the pseudoscience and with the people that are, as you say, they're peddling. They're really marketing their their nonsense. And, you know, in the latest round of this is the flat earth people. Right. But before that, there was. Hey, man, there's flat earth supporters all around the globe. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm not sure if you can say flat earth is a latest phenomenon. Well, I feel no, like no, but they it's have a pretty old well, thing. No, but if you watch the meme, it is, you know, it is the meme that is rolling right now. But, uh, but right. before that, it was the planet <laughs> X. And before that, it was the 2012. And, mm-hmm. you know, and before that, it was planet X again. And, you know, <laughs> these things and, go in cycles. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah, flat earth sure. has been around for Flat Earth, times. yeah, Flat Earth, Planet X, Flat Earth, Planet X, and are we sure the sun Armageddon. doesn't resolve around us? <laughs> yeah, um, but but what you've got is you've got these people that are marking their theories, and they're you know, and they're it's it's almost like it's a religion, right? They're trying to convince you of a religious argument. They're marketing, mm. but there are people on the fence that are kind of convinced because the words they use are scientific sounding. And so when when I argue or when we debate and in the in the communities that I run, I make it really clear to the people we work with that when we debate these people, we don't actually want to change their mind. We don't care, right? They are they're they're gone. They're too far gone, right? But we want the people that are sitting on the fence that are watching this conversation going. We want to see one person be a sort of shrieking, shrill jerk. And then someone being patient and, you know, Aristotelian in their queries and, you know, and try to sort of be a polite human being and be patient and explain but rely on reason and facts and evidence and things like that. Mm -hmm. And that it's the people that are watching going, well, that person's a dick and that person is being calm and polite. So therefore, so I think that 
that for a lot of people they get very frustrated and kind of emotional about what they see and then they 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 want to say science you know but like the way science yeah. works is you you know you look for evidence and you carefully provide your explanations and you you know and you use reason and evidence to reach a conclusion and mm-hmm. it requires a certain way of of interacting with the world and as soon as you go to that shortcut and go science you know then you're you're just unfortunately being as bad as the people who are who you're battling against right. so you know and i had hoped like back in 2012 we put a lot of effort into calming people's fears about 2012 we wrote a bunch of articles about them mm. we covered them in our podcasts and like and we were just like present to talk people off ledges and literally that's what we were doing i get emails mm. from children like i'm so scared that i'm not going to be alive in 2012 because some you know some douche had written a book and posted a youtube scary youtube video that the world was about to come to an end. it was scaring 12 year olds right wow. yeah so so that all made me pretty mad but we were just there and patient and i'd really hoped that that whole experience of 2012 not being the end of the world would provide some level of uh, you know a vaccination to people mm-hmm. like oh you're gonna tell me the planet x is coming yeah didn't you tell me that it was going to come in 2012 and it's not here wasn't here then and it's not here now like but apparently not it's still you know it's, or it's a whole new generation i'm not sure well there's always new 12 year olds there's always new 12 year olds to be terrified that they're going to die yeah. Right. yeah and to be convinced to buy a book so um so don't let your 12 year olds read books don't, or the internet <laughs> just don't, don't let them go on the internet that might be an but, okay rule i might be okay but i'm <laughs> you know and like i don't know about about your community but mine actually especially the you know the youtube commenters and they're wonderful like mm. like everyone is like when they they stumble into the youtube comments on on my channel like who are all these polite professional human beings asking intelligent questions of each other and having these really engaging conversations and then everyone someone you know and then every now and then some you know someone shows up and like that earth is the best and then you know <laughs> and everyone just ignores that person because you know they're trolling yeah well like, <laughs> you know, we, now we know now we've been able to trace back your ip address so i uh, i really uh i think that you can set the tone you can lead the community and you can provide the tone in the way that you respond to these things. And I see a lot of the channels that are, as you say, there, you know, there's a lot of channels that are in, in the skeptic science movement, but they're, they're being dicks <laughs> and, and, and they attract a certain kind of, of kind of obnoxious, uh, attitude that it just isn't very nice. And right. I, you know, and, and so I think we, as the, I don't know, the leaders, me as the, as the communicators, the public face, a lot of this stuff, the, we have to be nice and, you know, we're Canadian. So yeah, so we are nice. Yeah, well, literally (laughs) we can't not be nice. Right. But, and so we have that going for us, but I think for the rest of the people who, who feel that urge to react emotionally and try to cut down the people who are, who are peddling their pseudoscience or, or just don't understand the world very well. You do have to kind of dial it back a bit, as in the immortal words of of Will Wheaton, "Don't be a dick." Hmm. <laughs> yeah, and unfortunately, I feel like that you know that uh, urge to be emotional rather than rational is by no means restricted to you know the science world and debates about science and pseudoscience on the internet, right? Like this is no, but <laughs> in but some I, ways it's. But I feel at least like... science kind of has some some sort of concerted effort among you know 
some of the more rational people to say, okay, that's not how we're going to do it. Like, yeah. And there, there are voices, I think, within the science community saying, like, well, no, we need to use our logical fa- faculties and our reason and our evidence and our Yeah, calmness. like, when I say, like, uh, evolution or the Big Bang is just a theory, and evolution is just a theory, and gravity is just a theory, right? And to people like, well, you can't say it's a theory because when you say it's a theory, like it's like that has a scientific term. And what it really means is, you know, I don't, I don't know if you get this as well, but but the reality is that actually, no, science is a theory that's backed up with testable hypotheses and a and a massive body of evidence. And but it is but it's perfectly willing to change if better evidence comes along. And it's that flexibility that and and always looking to question your own beliefs and your own conclusions is what makes science so great. And so if you are afraid because you don't think your science can handle some dick um, saying like, oh, you know, like, oh, you say evolution is just a theory and that doesn't mean anything like like have more. Uh, faith in your science, you know, <laughs> like it's like right. science. If that's not too too ironic, <laughs> it's too ironic, to right? like, like science can weather this stuff. Science has put magical communication devices into all of our pockets. Not magical. There's science in there, right? Yeah. And they, Steve you know, Jobs helped, but science did. Its but part. science did its part. Yeah, in, in engineering and science, and that we get to fly in airplanes. So, so <laughs> I really feel like. Like science is science is a is is a big boy it can handle it and it and and we who communicate about science should be willing to use the terminology and the the ways that that people express science and not be afraid if someone is going to take that wrong and in, instead mm-hmm. you sit down and explain you know what the preponderance of evidence means and what it takes to have you know to reach a conclusion in science and also tell great anecdotes about how people have change their minds you know right that you know when you when global warming when 99 percent of scientists agree together that the overwhelming evidence is that the planet is heating and we are the cause of it you can take that to the bank like that is as that is as reliable a result as as your portable phone working right and that's about as, as good Maybe. as you're going to get of a consensus among yeah, a academics consensus, in yeah, any field about anything right <laughs> yeah yeah. And so, so, you know, is it possible that the theory is wrong? Of course. And is it possible that a better theory is going to come along that could overturn? Absolutely. Just, you know, bring more evidence, which you, you know, it doesn't look like you're going to find and you can convince everybody that, that they were wrong and they will be glad because nobody wants our planet to heat up mm, and, right. and for all the coral to die. You know, we'd love to be wrong. Well, so. that's it. Like even, I feel like the people who, who like want global warming to be not true, it's a noble cause. Like I want global warming to yeah. be not true because it means that we're not yeah. quite as screwed as we think we are. Yeah. But like denying the evidence is not the way to go about that, right? The yeah. way to go about that is saying like, okay, right now it looks like we're screwed. Let's try to prove that we're yeah. not because yeah. that'd be great. And I can see in that example, it's super frustrating to have spent your time carefully, carefully gathering this evidence, presenting the results of that evidence, and someone, you know, just. Uh, Someone just going wrong. Yeah, wrong. Yeah, wrong. exactly. Right. And someone very powerful and someone with the ability to to affect your funding and to make a lot of money off of the opposite result to say wrong. Yeah. Wrong. 
super right. frustrating. But it's even like things like dark matter and dark energy, where people have this, uh, you know, they have this like response, this knee jerk response that I dark matter. I don't like it. You know, I don't like dark energy. I don't. I don't like it. I. I. I don't think it's necessary, and I. I don't like it. And you're like, well, how do you explain? the you know the clear acceleration of the expansion of the universe right mm-hmm. and and with these concepts we are seeing the science midstream we're you know and pamela always likes to use this analogy where you're driving on the road and your car makes this kind of clicking noise while you're driving down the road well your car's clearly making clicking noise no one's going to question that clicking noise yeah. and you don't know what's causing that clicking noise and you're going to try a few things, you know, you're going to try the things you can with the car and you can take it to the mechanic, the mechanic's going to give it back to you and you're going to drive it some more and it's still making that clicking noise, you're going to go back to the mechanic. So that's dark matter, right? Dark matter is like weird. Those galaxies are rotating more quickly than they should. Or when we do gravitational lensing, we see... You see gravity where you we don't see, see gra- stuff. Yeah, we see distribution of this stuff that's causing gravity, you know, it's causing light to warp. So there's got to be some kind of mass out there that we can't see. We don't know what it is. We don't know what's causing it. We don't know how it interacts. We don't know anything. But we do know it's there. And now begins the quest to find out what it is. When we look at the other stuff around us, like, you know, what are rainbows? What is lightning? You know, all these things. These mysteries have been solved. Yeah. Right, rainbows are God's promise that He's not going to flood the earth again. Oh, is that what? Okay, right. <laughs> and lightning comes from Pikachu, <laughs> <laughs> the most terrifying form of lightning. <laughs> right. So, right. Okay. So, God's promises and Pikachu; these problems have been solved, and yet here we are with with something like global warming, where again, the evidence has been gathered, the problem has been solved, or at least the problem has been identified, the cause is known. Right. But and now the the work to be done to fix it hasn't been done yet but we saw this with with the co you know with the carbon uh the with the hole the ozone, the ozone hole cfc is yeah it yeah it was caused by chlorofluorocarbons and they figured out the root cause and cut down the emissions and the mm-hmm. ozone hole is repairing nicely so what like how far do you think we are along to a conceivable solution to the problem of global warming because because what i see from a lot of like the political types when they argue this is that like there you know there's there's a there's a reason why people have a like like a motive to sow doubt about global warming and even though it's unethical yeah. their reason is usually that they don't think that anything can be done about it one way or the other right like they think that that yeah. anything you try to push the political cost is way too high the economic cost is way too high um, you know, it would require cutting off oil and there's no replacement for oil, right. that type of thing. So do you think that, like, from what you've seen and you're, you know, perusing the science of the world, what what do you think is the best hope? I think the best hope is is probably Elon Musk, right? And <laughs> that, uh, you know, I mean, not him personally, but sort of the direction that he's going, which is that there, there is, you have to make it on a financial level like you have to make the alternatives the the renewable alternatives to fossil fuels so ridiculously more efficient effective and inexpensive that only an idiot would continue to driving a car like like right like as soon as these electric cars are inexpensive as soon as the solar and solar power really i think in the united states now 
there is no state, maybe Alaska, where solar panels are more expensive as a way of providing electricity than oil. Like now in every mm, single really? state, solar power. And it's by, I think they brought down the cost of solar power by like a factor of like a million since the 1970s. <laughs> like it's ridiculous how good and how efficient. And, mm. and Elon Musk is just grinding forward at, at light speed. Now, like now I can make your your roof tiles out of solar cells. And it looks like a regular roof. Those but are it really cool too. Super cool. They, he just uh, electrified a island in the South Pacific. And now they're saving money because they don't have to import all this fuel. It was a, it was a mm. no-brainer. And so every time someone digs their heels in and goes like, I'm not going to do it because it's going to be hard and expensive. You know, like Elon Musk just walks and goes, fine, you know, money, please. And right. then and then both makes a pile of money and, uh, you know, makes the earth a better place. So I think he's got the right direction, which is that that at the end of the day, it's the unfortunately it's the you know, we're not going to be able to get together and agree we're going to have to vote with our dollars. And if the alternatives are presented fast enough and inexpensively enough then then we will make that transition right. and then the question is how much damage will we you know we will have done damage to the planet and we're going to have to clean it up and the question is how hard and how long is that cleanup going to take mm-hmm. yeah. how do we pull 400 parts per million of carbon dioxide back out of the atmosphere you know, that's a lot of trees we just get a you okay invention idea right all right it's like tom a, we'll hear you out it's like a big vacuum and you just, and then what? Just you take it, and then you, yeah. But now you got a vacuum bag filled with carbon dioxide. That's someone else's problem. And atmosphere. That's someone that else's problem. We need to problem. breathe with. So so we just, suck up the entire atmosphere. Right. Just, we throw it into the sun. Into the sun. And then and we, we go s- live on Mars, which Elon Musk is all for. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah, I I have some problems with that. So I'm you know that's I totally agree with Elon Musk about about Earth. But I actually kind of disagree with him about Mars. So, well, it's hard to imagine Earth. I, I, I'm not. This is not an original thought by any means. But it's hard for to imagine Earth being so bad that Mars is a reasonable alternative. Right. right. <laughs> well, that's exactly it, right? Like, like if you want a place that's infinitely more habitable than Mars, like go live in Antarctica. Yeah. Right. Or the South Georgia Islands, like any one of those places that. You know, go live at the top of Mount Everest. Like you want to talk about desertification? Yeah. You've got the only water you've found on Mars is inside incredibly like dense salts. Yeah, in yeah. some regolith somewhere. So yeah. I have yeah. a feeling that if you're if you're thinking that Mars is going like this was my problem with the movie Interstellar as well was that as bad as Earth got the wasteland that they found for a reasonable alternative did not seem to be doing a better job. And I mean, yet, I feel like if you came... call something a wasteland, it can't possibly be doing a good well, job. Well, did you see what, like, the planet they wound up on at the end of the movie? It's, yeah. It's just, like, it's basically Utah. Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. <laughs> and yet, it comes back, and they've got this really great space station facility. Oh, yeah, they've you got know, that. So a, my a really great is, orbital So why did you need the planet in the first place? Yeah, yeah. I guess they, they needed that to solve the gravity problems. I get it. There's uh, there was a narrative arc there. I'm telling you, man, just a big vacuum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we live in a big vacuum, so you might get your wish. Unless it collapses, then we're, then we're right. done. What uh, if instead of storing it in a vacuum bag, you stored it in a giant hat? And mm. send it through time. <laughs> How many gallons of hats would you require? Yeah, wait, could you 
could you do a time travel thing where you you suck all of the crap out of the ozone layer and just like send it into the future like 600 years so you have to deal with it right problem that's what we're doing yeah right this is very essentially very slow time travel (laughs) we are sending our problem to our children (laughs) in the future exactly at one second per second and then we're educating them very well so that maybe they can solve the problem right (laughs) yeah yeah do you think that there are any feasible like reversal methods in terms of temperature? Like people talk about crazy like crazy things like pumping sulfur into the right. upper atmosphere, yeah, or, or like, like seeding the the uh, oceans with iron, or you know, building solar shades, or, or just things se- like yeah, that. seeding clouds to yeah. I you know I'm sure that geoengineering at any like massive scale is a very tricky thing very dangerous Hmm. when you look at what we do with invasive species we think oh you know bringing rabbits to australia is a good idea and then the rabbits get out and they eat everything and it's a terrible idea right yeah and that's just that's just like someone brought a couple of bunnies and put them on the ground and they got out right i mean the criminals they brought there did less harm yeah than the the (laughs) rabbits exactly so so you know when you're thinking about trying to modify your planet at that scale, you just don't know what the consequences could be. And some of them, you can't roll them back. You can't go backwards. That so, is true. The yeah. problem is that we've are, we're already like that, you know, that horse is gone. Yeah, we're like, already doing we're, geoengineering. We, we've already hit the earth right. with a gigantic hammer. Yeah, we've already the hit the horse years. with a gigantic yeah. earth. Yeah. And so we don't know if. Like, so do, you, like do you push it back above. in the other direction? Yeah, here it's like 20 degrees above it's normal temperature in the arctic circle there's the arctic ice this year is going off the charts like yeah. it's it's the there's this graph that showed up on twitter a few days ago that shows like the arctic ice and on every day of the year throughout the past 40 years and it's all this nice yeah this nice wave where it pretty much follows a curve and then there's this year where yeah. it's just plummeting yeah. off everything that's yeah. ever happened before <clears throat> yeah so it's, and then and and, and and we're at the cold time even here like we're here we're in toronto it's like it's like t-shirt weather yeah well that's that's related right because it's the the polar vortex is spinning off of the arctic and hitting us with all its cold air that's not getting dumped up there yeah well it hasn't been cold yeah here so i don't know anyway but that's you know that's of course the classic problem with global warming so back to geoengineering in the short term geoengineering it's just a very dangerous thing you know if you're gonna attempt to modify you know, you're going to dump iron into the oceans to try and encourage uh, the oceans to to what be less reflective, or I forget, like cause more no, or cause more phytoplankton to grow. More algal blooms, yeah, more algal blooms. That's going to consume more carbon dioxide out of the air. <clears throat> Who knows what effect that's going to have on the ecosystem, on the on the food chain that relates to those things. So that just sounds like a pretty the fact that we're going to have to take those kinds of schemes seriously is a terrifying sort it's a, of yeah, it's reality. a testament to the fact yeah. that we're basically we're rolling off the hill like this. Yeah, yeah. It's getting and, hard to see a way yeah. back. Yeah. And that and that we can see that attempting to get the whole planet to agree to take any kind of action is ridiculous. Yeah. Right? That that we haven't even been able to agree to slow down our emissions. Hmm. And yet people are trying to talk about these Hail Mary passes. So so I feel I personally again feel like the only solution unfortunately is the technology that we that we technology our way out with a giant vacuum, <laughs> but we technology our way forward where we stop relying on the fossil fuels 
mm-hmm. and and that we can try and let the atmosphere recover. But it's gonna take hundreds of years. Like it's gonna get it's gonna suck. Although you know, <laughs> just like the vacuum, just like the vacuum. Yeah, but it's gonna be bad for a long time. Where where we have to deal with that temperature increase. So. Let me ask you about a possible solution to this problem. Okay. Which Giant is also, vacuum. Yeah, sure. Tom. Yeah. <laughs> which, which is also, in its own right, possibly a more immediate existential threat. Artificial intelligence. What do you think? Oh. Uh, I think we're boned. What do you mean? I, like, I think that we are going to... That we are going to create... I Okay, so so I think that artificial intelligence... Like, like artificial superintelligence is a very real threat, a very real existential threat, and that we need to take that incredibly seriously. And yes, we someone's are, on my team. <laughs> and that we are, uh, like at this point, maybe a couple of decades away, maybe 10 years away from us letting that genie out of the bottle. And anyone who thinks that we could put that genie back in the bottle, I think... I mean, is we not just three wishes. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's all it yeah. takes. Very, uh, infinite power, very small living space. Mm-hmm. But it just, I think that is that is a real, absolutely an existential threat, and it, you know, it definitely gives me cause and concern when I think about it. But that's really interesting, then, as because, a computer scientist, because if, if you if, <laughs> like, it's interesting to see the, the like the the seriousness and the threat level that's considered by you know scientists in the globe in terms of spreading the message of. You know, in a hundred years, the Earth's going to warm up two degrees. In five hundred years, there might be significant desertification of the planet yeah. and stuff. Versus, maybe in ten years, you're going to have an artificial intelligence that will either solve that problem for you overnight, right, or it will annihilate the human race. Yeah. So, like, do you do you think it's worth maybe switching our priorities? <laughs> <laughs> we can we can multitask. Giant. Okay. You know. Because it is, you know, it's like if you're hoping that the artificial superintelligence is going to solve the problem for you, and it does turn out that artificial intelligence is a harder problem than than some people think, then you're really going to wish you'd been working on that carbon dioxide problem. So I think you work on them both. But you definitely, the, Sam Harris has this great analogy. I don't know if you've heard him explain this before. He, I've, I've, I mean, I've heard Sam Harris explain it. He's, he's mostly referencing Nick Bostrom's book. Yeah, Nick Bostrom's work. But he's, but he's talking about, like, if you Eliezer, knew... Eliezer Yudkovsky. Yeah, that is yeah. Who's sort if, of one you, of the foundational thinkers of this Right, stuff. so if you sort of think about, like, if the aliens, if you hear a, a signal that the aliens are going to say, like, you know, we're, we're going to be here in 40 years, get ready. That people would be freaking out and getting ready. Yeah. <laughs> right? And yet we are, say, we're 40 years away from the development of artificial superintelligence. No one's taking it that seriously, including people, people who know better, right? Who should know better. And people use that as, like, to mollify, right? It's like, well, it's 40 years away. 40 years away. Right? so long, right? We don't, don't have to we worry about yeah, that. Yeah, we don't have to worry about that today. Yeah. But in fact, there are some really, you know, the control problem is a how do, you, how do you keep your artificial intelligence doing exactly what you want it to what do what you want it to do when it's yeah. smarter than you in every possible yeah. way yeah and nick bostrom of course uses the example of of getting the computer to make paper clips mm-hmm. and then it turns the whole universe into paper clips because you know that's it's following its one goal so we've done that and I've, I've explained that on this podcast before i can't remember which episode, oh good well then we the listeners put in the are, description yeah the listeners are fully brought up to speed with the Everything's a paperclip. The possibility yeah. that you will one day be yeah, a Yeah, and so we're not... I mean, the, the artificial superintelligence that we create 
you know, imagine you being able to think through how you would respond, but a thousand times smarter, a million times smarter, a billion times smarter. It's going to be better at conniving us, uh, fooling us, manipulating us than we can possibly comprehend. Yeah, pretending right? to go along with us and yeah, faking and us out as much as it has to. As much as it has to to get what it wants, to turn us in, all into paper clips. So, yeah. yeah, it's a, it's a, when well explained, I personally do find it good. So, does this mean it's like two on one now? So, Tom, you're... Oh, I don't, I don't think, you're, you're fairly convinced about the, about my AI arguments. Oh, right? yeah, totally. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah, but I find that most people, when I have this conversation with them on the street, or when I, when I yeah. talk to say... Yeah. My, he stops them on the street and says, hey, right. say, hey are you news? worried about the existential threat of our... No, right, I right. But I do, I talk to my dad about this stuff quite right. a bit, which is, and it's funny talking to my dad, because I think he just has an aversion to existential threats. As, as sort of a matter of principle in some ways, because he's he's <laughs> very a, skeptical. a coping mechanism. He's very skeptical of climate change, um, but also he's very skeptical of artificial intelligence. So that's that's a lot of what I bounce. But I find most people like they they sort of recoil at the idea that there could be artificial intelligence. Right? If you right if you don't buy as a premise that human intelligence is not fundamentally special. Yeah then you don't tend to buy that AI can ever be right. done. Right. Right. You really need to take take first the premise that really you're an organic computer. That is like for all intents yeah. and purposes, whether whether or not consciousness is something else, you know, if you if you want to say that there's there's something added to that 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 causes your first person perspective that yeah. nobody understands and isn't just emergent, then that's fine. But in terms of what your brain is actually capable of doing and processing and thinking about all that is is matter doing stuff, and yeah. there's no reason why other matter can't do that and do it much right. faster. Yeah, I mean, we think with meat, right? Yeah. Um, and but that does remove one of the existential threats that I'm not that that Stephen Hawking and I disagree with each other on. Okay, uh, which is extraterrestrials. Hmm. So Stephen Hawking thinks that extraterrestrials are one of the existential threats that we have to face but because you know for me the fermi paradox right this idea that the universe is big and old and so where are all the aliens mm -hmm. uh i find that super compelling that there are no aliens and uh, there are none no, at all none at all and there are no artificial intelligence like like huh. even if there are no aliens where are all their robots and so if one of if, if it's inevitable for one of these civilizations to create artificial intelligence and the artificial intelligence is going to be like i want to turn the whole galaxy into paper clips and they're going to fly off to other worlds mm. why haven't we been turned into paper clips yet well somebody already created artificial intelligence it was a decent film right so that's like the one but it hasn't taken over the the universe yet not yet not yet just well, just some like netflix screens yeah Okay, and so Haley Joel Osment's right. I am. But you're, yeah. you're 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 proposing that you can predict what artificial intelligence does. Well, n no. I mean, I think that that I like. So here's the example. Like just because I, it's one scenario that the artificial intelligence decides in the end to turn the universe into paperclips, that's no. not necessarily that that it's going to do that. It's more that you have no idea what something no, but I than think you is going to do. You can imagine. You know, one possible scenario that an artificial intelligence 
is going to want to utilize resources out in the galaxy. Mm-hmm. That that is a that they're going to want to spread and and send their computing power. They're going to see all these stars and all this raw material and its potential computing power, and it's not being used. Right. And you could very well have one artificial intelligence that is that has decided that the best thing to do is just stay at home and work on its knitting. But but it, but I feel like you run that scenario a thousand times, ten thousand times for the number of possible civilizations in just in our galaxy alone and one of them is going to go you know what i want everything and mm-hmm. they and they will send off it's this idea of like colonizing this is why i feel so strongly in the fermi paradox is like this idea of colonizing the galaxy you know the the analogy that i always use is like a sandwich and you you take sandwich and you put a drop of mold somewhere on that sandwich and oh, then you leave no. it i know the sandwich is gone no <laughs> one's eating the sandwich no one wants to you put that drop of mold anywhere on the sandwich and you come back you know, a week later, and the whole sandwich has been colonized by that mold and ruined. Right. And so it doesn't matter where you start. And so the analogy is, of course, that it would only take, say, five million years, five to ten million years, for space self-replicating robots moving at 10% the speed of light to colonize every single star in the entire Milky Way. All 400 billion stars would be done in 10 million years. Yeah, and, and because all the sandwiches would be ruined. All the sandwiches would be ruined. But because the those that 10 million years has existed for you know think how many times that that slot has happened over the billions of years of the universe's existence there have been 110 million years in the last billion years (laughs) exactly right (laughs) so where have those that's and that's just the last billion yeah right how many millions is so so there's been plenty of opportunity for any one of those worlds at any point to have colonized the entire galaxy with their artificial intelligence so so either artificial intelligence is impossible to create and therefore we have to rely on our meat suits to try and colonize the galaxy which also doesn't particularly solve the problem because you could you could also colonize the galaxy with meat suits right right or in less than geological we could use our robots today you know to colonize the galaxy. Now, yeah. half of them would merge with some artificial intelligence, return to Earth, and go come searching for whales. But the yeah, other sure. half would would continue their job and properly explore the the galaxy. So, so I think for me anyway, I find that argument super compelling. And every time I, you know, I talk to people about this, I just get more and more convinced that unfortunately we are the only intelligent. Uh, civilization in the galaxy possibly the universe because because we can see other galaxies and if a ga- and if a uh, civilization was advanced enough sufficiently advanced they would have turned their entire galaxy into a, just a collection of dyson spheres or dyson swarms and big old vacuums that. yeah big old dyson <laughs> vacuum swarms with the carbon dioxide stolen from overheated planets they would see that we would see that and surveys have actually been done to look for these kinds of galaxies and none, none have turned up so we don't see any fully colonized galaxies out there our solar system isn't colonized we don't see the monoliths left over from from the arthur c clarke and aliens so that we're it we're i don't know first let, let me push back on you sure. a little bit about that because i think you're still making a bit of an assumption about what an ai would do like right and we're and talking the, about the, aliens the, or an ai or both I'm, I'm talking about ai because the thing with 
with AI that people talk about in terms of the, just the world is that it's a winner-take-all game, right? Like, whichever the first AI yeah. is, is going to run the entire system. Any other AI that comes up is not going to be as strong. So whatever yeah. whatever that one's motivating factors are yeah. is going to, to set the precedent for everything that happens in the world from there on out. Now, you take that to a universal scale, and it's possible that the first AI to spring up within anywhere near here in terms of astrological time controls this entire bubble of the universe. And if if it's the case that it's likely that AI can be made with a reasonable moral center or with like a conservationist bent, if that's a natural thing to to evolve within like intelligent populations that build AIs and that's something that they successfully program into them, then I don't think it's unreasonable that they would leave us alone. But that is a little bit of a stretch, I think. Yeah, but is that like all of them? Like well, for the thing every, is, that's right? what I'm saying. You only need the first one. The first one that comes out will ne- will inevitably conquer so, all the other ones. So where is that first one? <laughs> Who knows? Could be everywhere. Mars. I mean, could we already be colonized by this first artificial intelligence? It's possible. Right. Or so it could I, be following a prime directive to leave us alone. But 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 for, I I feel like you know for every prime directive for every you know captain in the federation that follows the prime directives there's a captain kirk that wants to go down there and woo their women right like, that's true but you're not talking right? about so differences of opinion when you start talking about this stuff about like, ai about ai because there is only one right the, the other ones get defeated by the one that started right. and is now the most so powerful. you're so either so if it we knows, have already yeah. been colonized by the one and we are literally just playing by its rules or it's preventing everyone else from getting to us and just letting us live Right. Until we create ours and it gets defeated. Like, supposing that there is a way to, say, influence like populations without them knowing about it, it's possible that all AI really has to do is make it seem like every other AI is impossible to build. Right, and by that logic, maybe it's already hit us and we are being convinced right. by it that it doesn't buy exist, it right, right now. By yeah. it that we it's should... actually like, <laughs> like running you like a puppet trying to convince me to to stop shutting down the no wait we it's agree just, though it's just going to give alpha <laughs> alpha go a little glitch so right. that it's not quite as good right quite as good <laughs> let that poor korean give him a little hope i agree that, that game. your your argument is compelling though i've never thought about it that way yeah that's that's it that's that's the i mean obviously i you know this keeps me awake at night and uh you know i tried but i'm glad so, i've got someone here i can talk to and i can really let the, loose the obvious like it's it's pretty inconceivable that within this universe no other intelligent beings have evolved right absolutely given the just the chemistry and the numbers of it yeah yeah so that in itself is an existential threat in a way because it means if no one else made it we're not we're not making it right that's of course the great filter right and it's yeah. this idea that that either we're alone or there is something that inevitably strikes any civilization that reaches a certain level of technological progress and that it is inescapable right that if you if you've got a sandwich that's clean of mold in a room full of mold spores it's a poisoned sandwich <laughs> right <laughs> yeah that sandwich is living on borrowed time well no but that's or that sandwich has something systematically oh, it's a poisoned in it sandwich. that right, kills right, right. all of the right. mold that mold right, is course. not getting a handhold yeah right because it's a bad sandwich yeah hmm. yeah it's a bad sandwich you don't want that sandwich. so so in this case even though the sandwich was spared tom you don't want to eat it right yeah I think that's a good lesson to go out on. <laughs> Never eat a poison sandwich. Never eat a poison sandwich. While yeah. wearing a 10-gallon hat. <laughs> Killing your time-traveling future 
namers. If you go, if you ever meet any of the people who starred in Star Trek Four, you need to tell them that when they go back to night the nineteen eighties, they need to tell Fraser Crane to have a different name. <laughs> right, right. That's that's the next mission that's heading back to the nineteen yeah. eighties. It's true. <laughs> now that's that we've got the whale chance. thing sorted, yeah, out, it's all it's, like it's, a, how many gigawatts do I need to gather? 11. 11? Uh, 1.21. 1.21 gigawatts. Gigawatts. Get yeah. Right. To, to send a DeLorean back in time with the crew of the Star Trek, the uh, Starship Enterprise. Ooh, that was close. How many Starship parsecs Enterprise. is that? Star Trek yeah. Millennium Star Trek. Falcon. <laughs> Star Trek Millennium Falcon. Uh, Captain oh, Falcon. Okay, so hold on a second. Uh, one last thing. Uh, Parsec, Kessel Run, uh, Miss... Bad script, bad science, or like, or they went back and uh, and and retconned the uh, the story. No, Han Solo is just dyslexic. It's not. It's not a hard problem to solve. He just he was trying to impress some people so that he could make the ship go fast. He didn't know what the word meant, and he's yeah. never run any Kessel runs, and he just said it. It was a, it was an impressive thing to say, and it got them to pay him a heck of a lot of money right. to get to where they were going. See, that's what it should have been. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. Well, it's been great to have you on the show, Fraser. Uh, it was yeah. great to hang out in real life with you guys here in in Toronto. It's yeah, been, for uh, sure. By the way, we're in Toronto. <laughs> 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 Spoiler alert: We've been at YouTube Next Stop, which yeah. has been a great opportunity for us. It's where you go to the YouTube space and you get to learn all about. We learned today about boom poles and boom a poles lot of and sound gain, setup. A lot of gain. Lavaliers. Yeah, yeah. lavalier microphones and non-linear editors. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and now hopefully I will take the knowledge and put it on my channel. Yeah, well I'm looking forward to seeing what you create as a result of this having and if other people want you. to see what i've created yeah allow me to suggest let's plug hmm. some stuff let's plug some stuff yeah so they should go to my website of course universe today.com uh twitter universe today instagram universe today uh and then universe today on youtube and the youtube is the thing i'm currently most proud of which we're we're sort of three parsec awards one now with our guide to space so uh, back to Han Solo, um, <laughs> but uh, and we're having a really good time. We do three videos a week, and they're a lot of fun. And I'm really enjoying kind of doing my version of, or you know, learning all the lessons from all of those great science uh, YouTubers that that went mm. for me. So I hope uh, people can come check it out and. And, and enjoy and be the nice people that are in my community which is you great you stand on the shoulders of giants but that means we can see you just a little bit <laughs> exactly <laughs> thanks for having me guys yeah alright well if you want to follow us if you're listening to this podcast for the first time uh, go to uh, Down With Talking on Twitter mm-hmm. um, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or are we on Stitcher yet? no not yet oh, well, that'll we'll be 2017 there. that's our goal yeah, Stitcher. so SoundCloud, Take the 10 rate review to put if you it on want. Stitcher. Yeah. <laughs> if you'd like to support this show, you can go to patreon.com slash up for discussion, um, which would be useful to us for mm-hmm. being able to do cool things like have science YouTubers on. And uh, come back next week because we've got Sabrina Cruz on the show mm-hmm. from the YouTube channel Nerdy and Quirky. And she's going to be, I don't know, probably goofing off a lot because she's a fun person. Nerdy and even, or quirky. That might even happen before next week. We'll see. I figured we'd just spread the uploads so we didn't have to work ever again. Well, I've got a lot of guests lined up for December, so cool. I don't want them like waiting too long to hear themselves. But are you going to be able to do it in person? 
I think so. I think she's coming here tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, it should <laughs> be fun. Yeah, we have like a ton of Canadian YouTubers in the same building as us right now, so yeah. we're trying to take advantage. Might as well. Cool. All right, well, next week, guys. See you later. Acapella science. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah. <laughs>